You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Uh, Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. Uh, That means that when we read the Bible, uh, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible passage is Isaiah 11, verse 1, to Isaiah 12, verse 6. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people who survive. From Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Alam, Shinar, Hamath, and the coasts and islands of the west. He will lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Ephraim's envy will cease. Judah's harassing will end. Ephraim will no longer be envious of Judah and Judah will not harass Ephraim. But they will swoop down on the Philistine flank to the west. Together they will plunder the people of the east. They will extend their power over Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be their subjects. The Lord will divide the Gulf of Suez. He will wave his hand over the Euphrates with his mighty wind and will split it into seven streams, letting people walk through on foot. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will survive from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. On that day you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. 
although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my song. He, he has become my salvation. You will draw, joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation, and on that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, proclaim his name, make his works known among the peoples, declare that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, it's good to see uh, all of us gathered here. And if this is your first time uh, with us today, you decided to join us this morning to celebrate Christmas, a really, really warm welcome to you. Uh, my name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross and Crown, and it's just there's nowhere better to be than with the people of God to celebrate our God becoming man. You know, uh, I've got so many uh, wonderful Christmas memories growing up. I wonder what yours is. Uh, in fact, I want to encourage you right now, just take a minute or two, turn to the person next to you. If you don't know them, introduce yourself, be friendly, don't be scary, uh, and just share with them uh, what's one great Christmas memory that you have uh, when you reflect over the last few years. Why don't you just take a minute to do that? All right, why don't you wrap up those short conversations right now. It's a good thing to be asking each other over lunch, if anywhere will be open after this, but I'm sure places will be. Uh, I still remember growing up, uh, I was at a church in Box Hill, and what we'd often do is every Christmas we would uh, actually drive from house to house and sing carols at different people's homes, and it was uh, really good. We'd always end with singing like Feliz Navidad, which no one knew what that meant anyway. Uh, and then on Sunday at church, we'd sing wonderful carols, uh, about the birth of our Lord Jesus and tragically end by singing We Wish You a Merry Christmas and Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which kind of undermined everything that we uh, just sung before. Uh, and then we always had this thing on a Saturday night at our church. I don't know if anyone here was at, our, was at my church at that time. We'd, we'd have this kind of church talent show type thing and people would go up and sing their favorite carol, which if they can sing is actually wonderful. Um, but if they can't, I mean, it's an opportunity for the rest of us to serve them, right? Uh, and there was this one uncle uh, who every, every Christmas would sing Oh Holy Night. And I was so glad that Naomi hit that top note, right? Because he would always go for that top note. Uh, but one year, I shouldn't laugh, he, he had triple bypass surgery a few weeks before, and he still went, and, and when he was going for that top note, we were all kind of worried, but uh, he's okay, he's okay. Uh, but it does show, actually, that the best way to celebrate Christmas is to sing. Have you ever realized that? Like, when it comes to Christmas, carols are so core to what Christmas is all about. For some reason, we've got a reason to sing, which also doesn't quite make sense. Because when you actually pair it back and look at the Christmas story, it's actually a pretty ordinary story. Let me condense it for you. It was around 4 to 6 BC. A man called Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. And at that time, there was a young Jewish girl called Mary. And unlike Quirinius or Caesar Augustus, Mary, she was, in many ways, nothing special. 
she was just a very ordinary girl. And this very ordinary girl bore a son in a very ordinary place, in a cattle trough, in a town called Bethlehem. And when we fast forward and look at his life, you know what? His life was pretty ordinary as well. He became a Jewish rabbi, but for only about three years. He never really traveled beyond a small part of modern-day Israel. And at 33 years old, which is my current age, he died. He was executed by the Roman Empire as a political rebel. And can I tell you, at that time, political rebels, they were a dime a dozen. That's it. That's why we sing. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of, of an insignificant boy to an ordinary girl in an average place. In many ways, Christmas is just a really ordinary story. How is it then that this one child could spark the greatest movement in human history? How is it that his biography, the Bible, has actually become the world's best-selling book of all time? How is it that his birthday is celebrated by more than 2,000 years later by more than 2.2 billion people around the world today? I'm willing to bet that many of you have already lived in many ways more extraordinary lives than Jesus. But can I suggest, I suspect, I could be wrong, but none of us will ever get a birthday quite like his. You know, this morning, I, I want to do two things. Firstly, for those of you who've been with us, I want to wrap up our series in Isaiah 1 to 12. And I want to show us God's extraordinary plan to transform our whole world. And secondly, I want to show us that the actual key to God's extraordinary plan is this very ordinary child. And I want to start, actually, not in Isaiah, but in Matthew, a biography of Jesus written about 800 years after Isaiah's lifetime. And I want us to see what Matthew saw on that very first Christmas day. You'll see it on the screen, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 to 23. Let me read it for you. But after he'd considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. See? The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Friends, can you see what Matthew saw on that very first Christmas? When Matthew looked at Jesus, he didn't see an insignificant boy born to an ordinary girl in an average place. No, when he looked at Jesus, he saw the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He saw the child who would bring God to us who would free us from all our sins and fears, and who would shine a light into the darkness of our world. When Matthew looked at Jesus, he didn't see an ordinary boy. No, he saw our extraordinary salvation. 
So I'm going to look at Isaiah 11 to 12 and show you who Jesus really is. Firstly, Jesus is God's perfect king. Just look at chapter 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Did did you notice? It's not some big oak, not some mighty cedar, no, but a fledgling shoot. Something small. Something fragile. Something so ordinary. You see, in many ways, a shoot, it perfectly represents a young child, doesn't it? Small and fragile, weak and vulnerable. And yet, notice, this shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David. And and so if this shoot comes from him, then this child will be a king. We've all seen awful rulers before, haven't we? Uzziah was mortal and died. Ahaz was fearful and unfaithful. And even King Hezekiah, who we'll later meet, he was a good king, but even he would stumble and fall. And in our world today, we still see leaders who promise everything but deliver nothing. Even if, right, even if they could deliver on everything they promised, even if they could reduce the cost of living, cut carbon emissions, bring peace to the Taiwan Strait, they can't change the human heart. They can't criminalize hatred. They can't put an excise on selfishness, though I suspect they'll try. And they can't legislate sin away. No, but this king, this shoot from the stump of Jesse, he will be a king and a leader like no other. In verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He will have counsel, he will have wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, but not from himself. No, it'll come from the spirit of God. And unlike King Ahaz who feared the world, no, this king will perfectly fear the Lord. Can you see what Matthew would have seen? Jesus will be God's perfect king. And as that perfect king, he will bring in a world of perfect justice. In verses 4 to 6, we read that his justice, it won't be fallible like our failing sight or hearing. No, Jesus' birth will spell judgment for the wicked and justice for the oppressed. He will bring in a world where every wrong will be righted, every injustice will be repaid, and every victim will be vindicated. Every person in this life who has ever been harmed or abused will have their day of justice. Every victim who in this life has suffered in silence will be heard. And every violence committed in the darkness will be brought into the light. Jesus is the king of perfect justice. And is also the king of perfect peace. In verses 6 to 9, we we see this picture that's almost Edenic. A world where predator and prey are no more. That the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. And it won't just be peace between animals. 
Because the wolf and the leopard could very well represent the great powers of our world. Friends, this is a picture of perfect peace between Assyria and Judah, Egypt and Israel, Babylon and Syria, Israel and Palestine, Taiwan and China, Russia and Ukraine, and all the warring states in our world. Verse 9 tells us, they will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Why is it that on this day, you and I, we will not harm or destroy each other? Because God's word is with us. Because Jesus is with us. You see, Jesus is the king of perfect peace. There's many carols I love. And there's some I don't like so much. Little drummer boy. What does that even mean? And there's that song, there's the... um, I can't even remember it right now. There's there's something about Christmas being there's no more wonderful time of the year than Christmas. And it is true for many people, isn't it? But for others, Christmas is actually a really difficult time of the year. But as we look around and we see people with their family and their friends, they're always happy. And we're reminded of what we don't have. We're reminded of who we don't have. We stop and we think about the lost and the broken relationships. We stop and we think about the loved ones who have since died. And then you zoom out and you think about around the world, children and the elderly suffer in Ukraine and Afghanistan and and they're forgotten by the world. Christians in closed nations are persecuted for Jesus' sake and there is no one to wipe away their tears. You wonder why? How can this be? Isn't it painfully ironic that at the moment that God came to earth, that actually we feel so alone? But that's exactly why Jesus came. To put an end to all suffering. To bring in a world of justice and peace. To heal every broken heart. To mend every lonely soul. To comfort every suffering person. Can I tell you, no one in our world, no one in our lives can do that, but Jesus can. For he is God's perfect king. I wonder, friends, do you see what Matthew sees? Secondly, Jesus is the world's only hope. Just look at chapter 11, verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people's. The nations will look to him for guidance and his resting place will be glorious. Did you get that? Jesus will be a banner, a signal of hope, but not just for God's people, but for all people everywhere. He will be that symbol of justice and peace, not just for Judah, but for the nations, even for Assyria, even for Egypt. Even for Babylon, Jesus will be the hope of our whole world. People from every nation, every tribe, every people and every tongue will look to him for guidance and he will be their king. But I want you to notice how Isaiah describes this kingdom. It is in verse 10, 
God's resting place. Isn't that beautiful? God's resting place. A world without hatred. A world without hurt. A world where pain is but a distant memory. Isn't that what our world longs for? Isn't that what you long for? I can tell you I know it's what I long for. Life can be exhausting, can't it? This never-ending cycle of effort, of striving, of trying to keep up, to survive, let alone to even get ahead. That's why we go on holidays, isn't it? In search of moments of rest. But as surely as the plane lands and as surely as our holiday ends, our rest in this life, it never lasts, does it? No, Jesus is our only hope of a world of perfect rest. A world that we can call our perfect home. And in this passage we read, he'll start, not with everyone, but he'll start with Judah. He'll start with his ancient people. You see, all the way back in Exodus, Israel, they were slaves in a foreign land. People under exile, far from home, but God redeemed them. He brought them out of Egypt. He, he made them a people for his own possession. That's what he did the first time. Now I want you to see what he'll do a second time in verse 11. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand, there we have it, a second time to recover the remnant of his people who survive. But now I want you to see from where. It's from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamat, and from the coasts and islands of the west. You see, what God did for Israel out of Egypt, he will do for Judah out of Babylon. And what he did for Judah out of Babylon, friends, he promises to do for you and me. He will bring us home out of every nation into a kingdom of perfect rest. And in that kingdom, our deepest wounds will be healed. Our greatest divisions will be reconciled. Verse 13 tells us that once divided kingdom of Ephraim in the north and Judah in the south will be one again. Christmas is that moment that God initiated his rescue plan to reunify his people, to reconcile us to himself and to give us perfect rest in him. And I want you to see that that's something that God will do, not just for one small group of people. No, it's something that he will do for absolutely everyone if we choose to trust in him. That's why back in verse 10, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner, not just for Judah, but for everyone. You know, most uh, major religions are tied to a particular culture or language. The Quran, for example, is no longer the Quran if it's translated into any language other than Arabic. To, to be a Jew, you need to sign up not only to its faith, but also to its culture. Children grow up memorizing the Torah, not in their own language, but in Hebrew. But not for Jesus, and not with Jesus. No, he is the king over every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. He is the hope of the whole world, and he came to rescue his people out of every nation on earth. 
when it comes to buying gifts, I'm the worst of them all. I just don't know what to get. I'll wander around Chaston for three hours and get absolutely nothing. I did tell my friend, can I just give you 50 bucks in cash and you go and get it yourself? And he said, no, I suffered three hours at Chaston for you. You need to suffer three hours at, three hours at Chaston for me. He's, that, that friend of mine, he's, he's so good, he'll, he'll do whatever it takes. Go to any extent necessary. From halfway around the world, he will do whatever it takes to, to make sure that at Christmas he blesses you. I want you to see that Jesus was willing to do whatever it takes to spend more than just three hours at Chadston, no, to, to, to actually cross heaven to earth, to bless us in the greatest way that only he could. Look at verse 14. God will remove every enemy who stands in our way. In verse 15, he'll even divide the gulf of the Suez. He'll split the Euphrates River into seven streams to let his people walk through on foot. God will quite literally move heaven and earth to create a highway home. And I want you to see at Christmas, God did far more than even that. You see, in Isaiah, God moved heaven and earth to bring Judah home. But in Jesus, God came from heaven to earth to bring us home. He crossed the greatest distance possible. He did whatever it took. He even gave his own life so that we might come home to him. If you're not a Christian, I'm sure you know that feeling deep down inside. That when you look at the brokenness of our world, you can't shake that nagging sense that this isn't what it's meant to be. I want you to know that Jesus was born to do whatever it takes to reunify a divided people, to reconcile broken nations, and to give rest to a weary world. Do you see what Matthew sees? Finally, Jesus is our beautiful Savior. You see, I want you to know that Jesus could be God's perfect King. He could even be the world's only hope. But if he does not fix our deepest problem, it's all for nothing. It's an empty win, a pyrrhic victory. It would be like bandaging a wound, but failing to treat the disease. And if you were here last week, we, we confronted that disease head on, didn't we? We felt the immense weight of God's wrath. We saw that the deepest problem in our world is not injustice. It's not conflict. It's not war or division as awful as they are. No, all these tragedies in our world are but symptoms of a far deeper sickness. God's righteous anger against our sin. God's wrath against our betrayal and rejection of Him. In Isaiah 9-10, to we ask that haunting question. When we're faced with God's wrath, who will you run to for help? And that question was met with a deafening silence. No one. Faced with God's anger, there is no one we can run to for help. But look. Look. Open your Bibles, look there, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to see what Isaiah is saying. 
After all of that, this is what Isaiah says, on that day, you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord, although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Friends, do you hear the hope of Isaiah's answer to his haunting question? Faced with God's anger, who will you run to for help? Jesus. 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 Jesus will turn God's anger away from us. Just look at verse 2. Indeed, God is my salvation. He has become my salvation. After all, that's what the name Jesus means. The Lord saves. Jesus was born to bring in a world of perfect peace and justice. Jesus was born to reconcile warring tribes and to give us perfect rest. But more than any other reason, Jesus was born for this. To turn God's anger away from you. To save you from his wrath and to be your saviour and salvation. And if that's true, verse 6 couldn't be even more true. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in His greatness. You see, how is it that God will turn His wrath away from us? How is it that God's righteous anger and wrath will be satisfied? By the Holy One of Israel being with us. By God coming to us. By God coming as one of us. By God coming in the birth of Jesus Christ. Do you realize what this means? So often our lives are ruled by fear. If Isaiah's taught us anything, he's taught us that. Fear of rejection, fear of judgment, and fear of death. But because Jesus was born for you, you don't have to be afraid anymore. If you trust him with your life, God has forgiven anything and everything you have ever done or will ever do. You don't have to be afraid of his wrath or judgment. You don't have to be afraid of his anger or rejection. You don't have to be afraid of his disappointment or disapproval. And can I say, if we don't ever have to be afraid of God anymore, who else do we need to fear? We're ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. The world might forsake me, but Jesus has forgiven me. Can you see that Jesus isn't just God's perfect king? He isn't just our world's only hope. No, He is your beautiful Savior. So how can we not praise Him? How can we not sing? How can we not join Isaiah in chapter 12, verse 5 and say, Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. I've heard some Christians say, you know what, Adam, I don't sing. Just not that sort of guy. Or at Christmas time, don't do carols. You know what? I think singing Christmas carols are a mark of obedience, actually. Because I don't buy it. 
You know, people say, I don't see. No, I've, I've heard love-struck, tone-deaf grooms sing for their bride on their, at their wedding. And if we, have to be, if we have to be subjected to that at your wedding, please subject us today. If you can sing for your bride, you can sing for your king, for surely you love him so much more. There's a reason why we celebrate Christmas by singing carols. Because joy is not there to be explained. No, it's there to be sung. Even when Christmas is hard, even when Christmas is sad, even when Christmas is lonely, even if you hate the season and you might, you can't hate this message. You can't weep in sadness at this truth. No, the only right response to this is to sing with joy. What other response could we possibly have to the birth of God's perfect King? To the birth of the world's only hope? To the birth of our beautiful Savior? Sisters and brothers, is your life one of continual praise for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ? In a moment when we sing joy to the world, will you sing with joy? If you're not a Christian, can you see that this ordinary birth is actually so extraordinary? Our world is a dark and difficult place. It is full of pain and full of fear. And maybe that's what you feel like your life is. So far from God. So far from life. So far from love. It need not be that way. Jesus was born to transform our world. And he was born to transform your life. He can be the king that no one else can be. He came from heaven to earth to do whatever it takes to bring in a world of perfect justice and peace. To reunify warring nations. To reconcile broken peoples. And more than anything else, he came to turn God's wrath away from you. He came to be your saviour and salvation. And can I say, if any of that whatsoever even just slightly piques your curiosity, if you feel compelled or moved even in the slightest, let me give you just one practical step that you can take this Christmas. Just one easy thing that you can do. Here it is. Come back next week. Come back next week, because next week we're beginning a series of talks through Mark, and we're going to see a biography of Jesus, and I promise you that you will see an even more extraordinary picture of Jesus, for you will see not only a perfect king, you will not only see the hope of the world, you will not only see our beautiful Savior, you will see Jesus, our crucified king. That's who Matthew saw, I wonder, do you see what he sees? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, all the way from heaven to earth to do whatever it takes to bring us home. For those of us, God, who don't know you, and who don't know the good news of the Lord Jesus, we pray this day that you would move in our hearts. Open our eyes. Help us see Jesus. 
And for those of us this day, for whom Christmas is hard, this season is full of sorrow and sadness, lift our eyes, God, and help us see that we have a reason for far greater joy. For our King has come, and now we have joy in this world and joy in our hearts. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.